of the cross today? If you haven't, again, the day's not over. <laughs> I'm excited. Um, every time Communion Sabbath comes around, it's, you know, it's not just a routine. It's not just, uh, you know, going through some motions. This is an opportunity to be brought to the foot of the cross in a very special and meaningful way. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, my week has been full of joy. How about yours? Maybe some of you have been, uh, have been experiencing some trials and struggles, but I believe that as, as I read the scripture, that even when that's the case, we can count it all joy when we fall into diverse tribulations and struggles. And so um, whatever the case might be, this morning I want to welcome you to the presence of God, because in his presence, Psalm 1611 says, in his presence is fullness of joy. What I want to do this morning is, uh, first of all, um, I'm actually seeing some faces here that I, I should probably give some recognition to. <laughs> first, maybe you saw the song team here and you weren't quite sure who they were. Um, that was, what's that? Um, we, had, we have Pastor Andrew Uyama. He's actually the, the youth and young adult director of the conference uh, and an old friend of mine. We go way back to 2000. <laughs> and uh, the youth evangelism team, they've been here with us today. Uh, you may remember that back in February, uh, they were here with us for a stretch of three or four weeks. They disappeared without much hurrah, um, but they've, they've come back for a revisit, and we thank you so much for your presence. Uh, the youth department has been blessed because of that. And yeah, Max Magpio, he and his family uh, from the Sirius Church. Actually, I'm seeing some friends. I mean, Brooke is a familiar face, but we haven't seen her face in a while, right? So welcome back, Brooke. Praise the Lord. She was on a mission trip in Peru. And um, actually, this Sabbath evening uh, at Vespers time, we get to hear a little bit. Is that right? Do we get to hear a little bit about your trip? And Becky Barkley got back from a mission trip in New Mexico. And so she's going to share a little bit with us about that. And I think Helen Schoeniger is going to be sharing about her trip. Um, where did she go again? Helen, where are you? Did she go to Africa? Okay, so she's going to tell us about it. And Jonathan and Melissa Solis, they just returned from Turkey. Is that right? Yeah? Man. And so, mission spotlight this evening. All right. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, lots of festivities afterwards. So I just, you know, it's in, in, the reason why I bring this up is because lately we have been talking about getting to work, right? Last Sabbath, our message was entitled, Restoring the Work of Ministry. And the reality is that even though we title and give uh, names like minister um, to certain individuals, that doesn't mean that any of us are excluded from the privilege of serving in ministry. Amen? And we've, we've talked about this, and so just if you are just kind of catching up, we've been on a journey. Since January, we've been praying for the Holy Spirit. We've been seeking God's face. We've been, we've been asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the last few weeks, we've been asking and studying about bearing the fruits of the Spirit and now exercising the gifts of the Spirit. And so last Sabbath, it came to this appeal. And several of you filled out these Connect cards, and you indicated that throughout this week, you would pray. Do you remember what you were praying for? You were praying that God would show you how you fit in ministry. And maybe some of us needed that reminder just now. But what I'd like to do right now, even before we get into our study, what I'd like to do is just spend a few moments in prayer together. So find someone who's next to you. Maybe they're a little bit distant from you, um, in the pew in front of you. Find someone who's near to you, and let's pray together. Let's pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, 
and that he would really reveal to us how we fit in ministry. So let's spend a few minutes just praying together. Ready, set, go. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Father, we are turning our eyes to you. We're turning our eyes to the sun that sets us free. And Father, we're pleading with you for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask that you would give us genuineness in our prayers. That you would give us fervency and a sense of urgency as we're reading the headlines, as we're hearing about this and hearing about that, Father, it is true. Prophecy is being fulfilled right before our eyes. And we recognize that you long to prepare a people to be ready for the things that you've prepared for us. And so we want to be part of that, God. As we pray for the Spirit and study about the Spirit and how you want to fill our lives and, and employ us for your kingdom's cause, we pray for a willingness to do your will. We pray for an openness to be instructed and counseled and equipped for ministry. Lord, we thank you so much for your saving grace, and now we plead for your serving grace. Please make us ministers of the gospel. Make us ministers in our own spheres of influence. And as we open up the Bible, we pray that you would speak to us just what we need to hear. In Jesus' name, the family said, amen. Amen. All right. 
Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and as you're finding your place there in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians, it's in the New Testament, so if you know what the first book is, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts. You have the Romans, and then these letters called 1 and 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is right before 2 Corinthians. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and as you're finding your place, I just really want to encourage us to, to, to understand where we're headed. I believe that God is doing a work here at Parkwood Church, that God has been pouring out his Holy Spirit, and we've said this before, that when God sends his Spirit, he doesn't just send his Spirit for us to feel warm fuzzies about, and good about ourselves, but he sends us his Spirit so we can be witnesses to Jesus. He sends us his grace, not just as saving grace, but as serving grace. And so if you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, go ahead and say amen. amen. All right. The last few weeks we've been studying Ephesians chapter 4 and the spiritual gifts and, and what that's all about. Last week we talked about restoring the work of ministry, and today we're talking about restoring the spirit of ministry. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and it's interesting Paul is talking about some really practical things that were taking place in the church of Corinth. This church had some issues. If you ever read through the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll realize you think you have issues, this church had issues, okay? <laughs> you think you've got a dysfunctional family, this church was a dysfunctional family. And so Paul is writing and counseling, and, and he's giving some specific instructions. And at the very onset of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Now, about spiritual gifts, brothers... I do not want you to be ignorant. Here's a topic sentence. Paul is kind of giving us a little bit of an exposition on spiritual gifts. And by the way, I'm reading from the New International Version today. So jump down to verse 4, and as he gets into this idea of spiritual gifts, let's read this together. The Bible says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same what? There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Did you catch some repetition just in those three verses? There's different but the same. There's different but the same. There's different but the same. This is a theme that we've found in Paul's writings thus far. And as he expounds upon how it could be possible that there's different but the same, he goes on to verse 7. Now, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one, what's the next word? Spirit. Okay, so he's talking about spiritual gifts. And each one is given a different gift. That's the difference. But it's from the same who? It's from the same Spirit. Okay, so he's, he's just getting very, very clear, very specific and in verse 10, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, all of these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Now just in this paragraph, we, we are actually finding ourselves reviewing some of our theology of ministry, right? Over the last two weeks, we've been establishing a theology of ministry. We, we identified uh, six foundational principles of ministry, right? Ministry is for everyone, just like verse 11, it says, and he gives to 
each one just as he determines. We realize also that ministry is for everyone because grace is for everyone. If everybody receives grace, that means everybody has been given the opportunity to give grace. You follow that? So if you are resisting ministry, if you are resisting uh, the opportunity to serve, maybe it's because there needs to be a deeper heart work. Maybe it's because we're actually resisting grace itself. So God is calling us to not just receive grace, but to give grace. And notice again at the, at the end of verse 11, and he gives them to each one just as the ministry placement team determines. No, praise God, right? Your gifts, your spiritual gifts, your ministry is not determined by human entities. Your fit in the body of Christ is determined by the Holy Spirit himself. It's by divine design. And this should give us a sense of confidence. It should also give us a sense of, of freedom. A freedom to serve because God has called us to serve. This is powerful. So again, we said this last week. You know, human uh, authorities or human entities, uh, the people that are around us, we're placed in a body uh, so, and, and other people give us input. Not because they give us authority to serve, but they give us accountability in service. Does that make sense today? Yeah? Okay. So just a little bit of review. This is all stuff that we've read before, just in Ephesians chapter 4. That's where we were. So now, let's keep reading 1 Corinthians chapter 12, because there's something very specific that I want us to get to. In verse 12 and 13, he's, he, he has an emphasis on this oneness, okay? There's a tension between oneness, and there's a tension between oneness and manyness, I guess you could say. Unity and diversity, Okay? So here, the emphasis on oneness. The body, this is verse 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form how many bodies? One body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, no matter your background. Amen? And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Okay, so his emphasis on one. Now, verses 14 through 20, it's the emphasis on many. Okay, watch this. Okay, so now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Okay, you see how he kind of flips this, the coin? He's wanting us to see both sides of the coin here. Now, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. Can you say amen? I don't know how many of you appreciate your feet, but I sure do, okay? <laughs> and, uh, you know, sometimes we don't treat our feet very well. Sometimes uh, we treat our feet a little too well. <laughs> but today, during foot washing, we'll have an opportunity actually to treat each other's feet. This is kind of neat. No, that's not the connection to communion that we're getting. <laughs> we're going to see that later on. I guarantee you, it, you're gonna, it, it's going to be blowing you away. Okay, here we go. So, verse 16. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. What's Paul saying here? Just because you're different doesn't mean you don't belong. Just because you've got a different fit just because you, you may be comparing yourself to this one or to that one, just because you're different doesn't mean you don't belong. And I know that's a whole bunch of double negatives right there, but I think you catch the meaning. We're going to skip, for the sake of time, we're going to skip on down to verse 21. Because in verse 21, after he emphasizes oneness, and then after he emphasizes manyness, 
Paul, in verse 21, seems to kind of catch a laser focus upon a particular issue at the core of unity. Okay? And I want us to see this. In verse 21, it says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be, what's the next word in your Bible? Those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Verse 23, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. This is very interesting. Now, last Sabbath, if you were here, you remember that when we studied Ephesians chapter 4, we discovered that it is only as each part does its part, as each member of the body fulfills its function faithfully, as we do this, we arrive at unity. Do you remember that? There were two destinations in Ephesians chapter 4, that as we serve, as we find our fit, we arrive at unity and we arrive at Christ-likeness, okay? This is a little bit of a refresher. In Ephesians 4, he says that we arrive at unity as we all do our part. In 1 Corinthians 12, he's actually identifying a torpedo that destroys unity. And what is this torpedo? Apparently, it's an attitude that says, I don't need you. Apparently, part of this attitude of one part not needing the other, look at verse 22. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Apparently, in the Corinthian church, spiritual gifts had become more about self than it had been about serving others. Let me say this again. Spiritual gifts had become more about setting themselves up as greater and more about uh, putting others down as lesser. Do you see the, what, what Paul is hinting at? Apparently they were using these terms. You're weaker, I'm stronger. You're less honorable, I'm more honorable. You're dispensable, I'm indispensable. <laughs> this is kind of dangerous ground, right? And this is why Paul is getting really strong and straightforward about it. Because if there's really unity as we serve, there cannot be a sense that one gift is better than the other. In other words, as Paul is identifying at the core of unity, we must rid the boat, we must bail the ship of anything that smacks of hierarchy. Of anything that smacks of, maybe I'll say it like this, spiritual elitism. And apparently this is what, what Paul was getting at. Let's keep reading. In verse 24, it says this, While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. I wonder what this felt like in the Corinthian church. <laughs> Each one, they understood that they all had different gifts, but some were kind of almost flaunting their gifts around, 
as if to say that my gifts are more important than yours. And how encouraging would that be for those of, let's say, um, pinky-like gifts, okay, or, or toe-like gifts, how, how encouraging would that be if you had those supposedly weaker gifts, how encouraging would that be for you to keep using those gifts, right? And that's what Paul is getting at. He's saying, no, 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 no. Even though we're different, doesn't make us, it doesn't give us permission to put one above the other. Are we following today, yes or no? Yeah. yeah. And here's the reason why this is important. The reason why this is important is because when a supposed spiritual gift turns into an excuse of setting up a hierarchy, we've lost the focus of that spiritual gift. Think about this. The, sp- the Corinthian church had become so focused on the gifts of the Spirit that they lost the Spirit of the gifts. And what is that Spirit of the gifts? It's the Spirit of service. It's the Spirit of putting others' needs first. It's the, put, it's, it's the Spirit of putting uh, others', uh, others needs above your own. And suddenly, spiritual gifts had been, become a tool or a wedge for putting themselves first. Spiritual gifts in the Corinthian church had been a tool or, or an opportunity for, for people to serve themselves. And that's why Paul gets at this so strong. And what comes after 1 Corinthians 12? 1 Corinthians 13. And the first lines of 1 Corinthians 13? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. He's getting at this. Look, you may exercise the greatest of spiritual gifts, the most unique of spiritual gifts, but if you've lost the spirit of the gifts, it's nothing. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 14, he actually addresses a particular way in which one of those gifts was being misused and abused as a way of glorifying self rather than serving others. Okay? This is really critical. Now, why bring this up today? Why bring this up on Communion Sabbath? I believe there's a real connection here, and it's not just about feet, okay? <laughs> Here's the connection. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, this whole discussion on spiritual gifts and the reality that, that it's abused when it becomes a means of serving self rather than serving others, it's placed right after 1 Corinthians 11. And at the tail end of 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is actually describing what kind of supper? But the Lord's Supper. He's talking about celebrating the Lord's Supper in an an unworthy manner versus a worthy manner. Oh, wait a minute, Paul, what are you talking about? You're worthy to to partake of the Lord's Supper? You're unworthy to partake of the Lord's Supper? Are you setting up hierarchies here? No, 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 that's not what Paul is talking about. In verse 27, where he says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread, or, sorry, this is 1 Corinthians 11 now. Take a look. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Now, is Paul setting up classes here? Is he setting up statuses and things like that? No, he's talking about the fact that for the Corinthians, they were coming to the Lord's Supper ready to throw it down. (laughs) They were coming with, uh, it's as if they had been storing up all week, just waiting to eat at this feast. And so when they came to the Lord's table, it was all about getting food for themselves. 
rather than being a blessing to other people. So they were going at it in an unworthy manner. Does that make sense today? Yeah? And so here's the thing. Paul was addressing an issue with the Lord's Supper. He says, look, you can't forget this. The Lord's Supper is supposed to be a means through which we exercise putting others first. As soon as it becomes about serving self and gratifying self and exalting self, friends, you've lost the picture of what communion is all about. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, he's saying the same thing about spiritual gifts. As soon as spiritual gifts become a way of serving self and glorifying self, you've lost the picture altogether. Are we following today, yes or no? And so here's the point. If we really want to be experiencing the the reality of spiritual gifts, if we really want to exercise spiritual gifts or the gifts of the Spirit, friends, we must first receive the spirit of the gifts. There needs to be a restoration of the spirit of service, the spirit of ministry. And how does that happen? How can you and I possibly have a heart that puts others' needs before our own? We all know that when we're born into this world, the natural heart says, me, myself, and I, right? We don't have to teach our kids how to not share anymore. We don't have to teach our kids how to not take things from people. We have to teach them how to be selfless, how to put others first. We have to teach ourselves this. This is a process of education, and I would say this is a process of sanctification. It's a process of transformation. So if there really is to be a restoration of the spirit of ministry, friends, it requires that we would be born again. It requires that this old heart can't just take a band-aid here and a band-aid there. It needs to be replaced altogether. And so we come to the Lord's table. When you walk in the shoes of the disciples just as they were setting up this last supper, you realize in John chapter 13 it says that Jesus knew that his hour had come. Jesus knew that he was about to depart. And the disciples first and foremost on their minds, was who is the greatest? And just as Paul had to address this with the Corinthians, he, he, he had to illustrate, to teach, to repeat lessons here and there. No, no, it's not about yourselves. Jesus himself, as he was dealing with his disciples, realizing that he was about to depart, he was about to entrust his ministry to this church that had been bickering about who is greatest. And how did he do it? What was his remedy? He got down and served them. He got down, he washed their feet. He got down and showed them emblems of brokenness for the sake of someone else's salvation, of being poured out and spilled out for the sake of someone else's blessing. And so here we are at the Lord's table, and we have the chance of being born again. (laughs) We have the chance of reenacting these moments, these sacred moments, so that there can be restored in us, just as there were in the disciples, that there can be a restoration of the spirit of ministry. And so today, take-home challenge, stick around and participate in the foot washing and communion service. What we're going to do, if you've never been here uh, during a foot washing and communion service, we actually uh, just reenact and follow, kind of put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples and of Jesus. 
Um, there's a room designated just across this breezeway. If you, if you were to exit out this door, just across this breezeway to the kindergarten Sabbath school room, there's a room for our men. If you want to partner up with a man, so we'll, what we'll do is we'll find a partner, someone to wash each other's feet with, to pray together. And as we're washing, we realize that, you know, we're not just washing our feet, we're allowing Jesus to wash our hearts once again. We're allowing Jesus to, to wash away anything that smacks of serving self, gratifying self, exalting self, so that we can have the restoration of the spirit of ministry. So there's a room just for men here. There's, in Bellamin Hall, there are chairs set up for, for ladies, if you would like to partner up with a sister. And then here to my, my left, your right, in this committee room, if you're a married couple or if you have a family that you'd like to do this together with, this room is designated for you too. And so I would just urge you, friends, that as we walk through these motions, don't let them become routine. Don't let them become meaningless. But allow Jesus to do a work of restoring the spirit of ministry. Now, when you come back together, after you've washed up and um, after, you, after we come back together, we are going to sit every other row so that when we distribute the bread and the juice, it'll make it a little bit easier to kind of transfer in and out of the aisles and stuff. So um, there will be deacons when you come back in. There will be deacons showing you which is the every other <laughs> and which is not. All right. So let's pray together as we split. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you are the God who is faithful. And Lord, you, you go through um, extended means. You, 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 don't, you don't hold anything back. You pull out all the stops so that we can be restored to you. And Lord, we just want to confess our natural hearts. Our natural hearts seek to serve ourselves. But when we look to Jesus, you came not to be served, but to serve. And so, Father, we're praying that you would do the miracle that you've promised to do, that you would give us a new heart and a new spirit, that you would give us a longing and an impulse to serve and bless others. And so, Father, during the next few moments as we partake in the foot washing and, and later on the communion symbols, Lord, we pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit, that you would make this time a time full of faith and meaning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let the family say, amen. All right. Men, you can go out this way, and then ladies uh, out to Bellamin Hall, and then couples and families right here.